After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. Summer hockey season continues in the National Hockey League and on the Scouting the Refs podcast. We are well into the second round of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs for the 2019-2020 season. And boy, oh boy, Josh, has the league provided us a bounty of of game situations that we can dive into this week. You know, the playoffs always bring that extra visibility, those greater numbers of eyes onto what's happening in each game, and each one has proven worthy to test the NHL rulebook. The Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes. Check them out online for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, whatever it is you need. Check out their website, goteamstripes.com. Follow us on our social media channels to get to Josh. It's, of course, at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. On this week's edition, High sticks are not allowed, whether it comes to goals, passes, or smacking your opponent in the head. And everyone's favorite topic, and in fact, I think we've got a few different situations on this one, the offside challenge. Some upheld, some overturned. Do we really think that the plane of the blue line is going to solve all these issues? It's not. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the issues. But it's funny, even the, the ones that we saw this week, uh, very few things would have been different if we were going by the plane instead of the ice surface. Oh, good. That'll, that'll, that'll clear it up uh, nicely. I should, I should also remind you that you can send us your personal questions. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com. You know what? I said that wrong because we're not looking for personal questions. We're looking for your officiating questions. But if you personally have a question, you can send it to us. Does that make it clear? Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that one. Perfectly <laughs> clear. <laughs> uh, it's It must be the summer heat and humidity that's getting to be. Okay, first, before we dive into it, a big shout out to our friend Andy Hudson and the Missouri Ice Hockey Officials Association. Their most recent live event featured Josh Smith from Scouting the Refs. Nice work. I watched it. It was it was terrific. I'm sorry I couldn't watch it live and send you guys a question, but I think you did a really nice job and it was a fun conversation. Thanks. It it, it definitely was. You know, nice of Andy to invite me to come on and always fun to talk stripes and talk hockey and get quizzed on some things that I, I didn't see coming. So it was it was good to have him keep me on my toes and you know, always always nice to discuss what's going on out there and, and, and the site and what we're doing and how we can grow. So some great questions on that. Uh, interview as well so you know nice to hear that feedback from fans officials and uh and and things to hear you know what they'd like to see on the site so it's always good to have that opportunity it it helps us grow new officials and helps them to to develop and build the fraternity because it is something that we're going to need much more support with moving forward and andy we should promise you as well that this podcast will probably be in around the same length as usual so we will not <laughs> extend your workout for 40 or 50 minutes and torture you that way yeah i, I loved andy's feedback that we're, we're right in that sweet spot that 20 to 30 minute length podcast is just not, <laughs> not too long but plenty of information to cover so we're doing him a solid there. 
Okay, now let's get into some of the stuff. And there was an awful lot of it in the series involving the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Personally, I'm loving this series, and I hope we get at least seven games out of it. You know, if we had one of those marathon overtimes in there, that'd be cool too. But it, it's given us a lot of good situations to ask and discuss questions about. And the, it's the first offside challenge that John Cooper got upset about. And I'm really not sure why, but he had an interesting description of a sandwich in terms of how that call went for him. But I, I, I think it played out exactly as it could. I'm not, I'm not sure what his, his beef was. No, I, I think he's frustrated. I think with that play, and this was the Bruins Lightning game when Barkley Goodrow scored to tie things up right after Boston had opened the scoring. And it was an offside play. Goodrow was moving into the zone, Braden Point was coming out of the zone, and they failed to clear the zone at the same time. So as we see with a delayed offside, you see the skaters come back to tag up. You, mm-hmm. you know that both guys need to touch the blue line, and that resets. You'll see the, the linesman's arm go down, and now you can go back in and pursue the puck. The timing was just a fraction of a second off, and it was all because of Cooper's own guy that caused that play. If Braden Point had been skating a little bit harder... Just just a little motivation there on his part, and the goal would have stood. So I, I think Cooper was frustrated with the play, but I, I think he was trying to put the focus elsewhere because uh, if I was the coach, I'd be frustrated with my player. Absolutely. It's one good stride is all it would have taken to get Braden Point out of the zone. And and maybe that's where there was a bit of confusion for for some watching this. When it's a delayed offside, Everyone must clear the zone before you can re-enter. Otherwise, the play is deemed to be offside. You can't just sort of, every, if you clear the zone, you can't go directly back in if all of the other players haven't, haven't cleared the zone as well. Exactly right. That's, that's simply not how it works. It'd be interesting if it was, you know, that it was up to the yes. individual player. Uh, that would certainly be a unique take on the rule. But as it is now, <laughs> all attacking players do have to clear the zone. So where normally we look at the offside of where the player's skates were at the time the puck crossed the blue line, because this was a dump in with a delayed offside and a guy in the zone, we're really looking for that tag up. So we're looking to see where points skate was at the time that Goodrow's skate crossed into the attacking zone. So uh, a little bit of a unique comparison here. We're not looking at skates and pucks. We're looking purely at skates. And this time it was correctly ruled offside, much to Cooper's chagrin. Earlier in the day, the Flyers and the Islanders had an offside challenge of their own. It was the tying goal by the New York Islanders. Late in the game, J.G. Pajot found himself in front of the net with the puck and snapped it over the glove of Carter Hart to tie the game. Philly, with their first offside challenge of the year, which I did not know until I read it on the ScoutingTheRest.com website, it was close, like the other, but this one was the correct call and implemented properly. Right, and this this was another similar situation. It was interesting on the broadcast because after the goal was scored and it was apparent that the play was being challenged, the TV crew didn't know what was being challenged. They had a few right. keep-ins. It was such a long possession in the flyer zone by the Islanders, and there were a few moments when the puck was at the blue line or, or kept in that it, it was funny to see the broadcast crew scrambling to figure out which play it was that was actually being challenged, which was the initial zone entry. So once again, we've got that situation where the puck's coming in and a guy's coming up to tag up. Thankfully, we do have some precedent on this one because we've had this play come up in the past where the player who's bringing the puck across the line moves the puck over the blue line into the zone, but is, is not playing the puck, hasn't touched the puck until the player exiting the zone has come out. And, and it appeared to be that that's what we had here. 
the official ruling or the official decision from the league came back that Brock Nelson legally tagged up prior to Josh Bailey playing the puck in the offensive zone. So almost treated like a, a momentary delayed offside where the puck crossed the line but wasn't being played, and, and then Bailey actively played the puck in the zone. So a real close call there. Uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. for the Flyers, uh, not not going in their favor. And yes, it's it's a funny thing too that this also brings up the circumstance when because you mentioned it was very long possession in the offensive zone for the for the New York Islanders. This brings up the question of well, if the the puck stays in for more than 20 or 30 seconds, should you be able to go back and challenge for offside? I 100% think you should. I I don't care if it's 10 minutes in the zone. If it enters illegally, it should not count as a goal. I agree. I think putting a, a clock or a timer on there is is very arbitrary. And then it becomes something else that we're just going to check for was, well, was the goal scored at, at 30.1 seconds or was it 29.9? Or then we just start checking the clock to see if it's eligible and it just lengthens the review. I have also heard proposed the change of possession, which I think is a stronger mm-hmm. argument than the timer, is that if there's an offside zone entry that's missed and the opposing team does gain control of the puck and fails to clear it, that any offside challenge is then nullified because the defending team did gain control of the puck. I think that one's a little cleaner because at least we've got a change of possession there rather than a, a running clock. Of course, then we open the can of worms for, well, did he have control or possession? And now we're, <laughs> we're debating that aspect of it. So there's there's no clean break, but you know, I, I have heard that one presented, Todd. I, I think that's a, a more compelling argument, but still not sure if the league's open to putting that sort of ambiguity in right now it's offside on the zone entry no matter what happens with possession or time on the clock that's what's eligible to be challenged look if the nfl has trouble deciding whether or not a receiver has possession (laughs) i'm not sure that we want to get into that with the nhl do you Uh, at least we're not trying to define what a catch is so Uh, yeah um, fair fair enough the scouting the rest podcast is powered by team stripes check them out online at their website go teamstripes.com apparel training tools equipment whatever it is you need they have it okay a couple of other things to get into last week we had a puck deflect off a linesman created a great scoring chance for the st louis blues against the vancouver canucks jacob markstrom made a remarkable save wasn't an issue however tampa boston here we go again Lightning forward Yanni Gord scooped up the puck as he crossed the Bruins' blue line. Linesman Devin Berg was attempting to get out of the way. Regrettably, Berg wound up setting a near-perfect pick for Boston defenseman Jeremy Lozon. It allowed Gord a clear path to the goal. Now, Yanni Gord did make a sensational play to wait out goaltender Yaroslav Halak and score. The lack of a defender riding him certainly helped his cause. And this is this is another example of the linesmen are essentially in play out on the ice. They are, and I feel bad for Berg on this play. Yeah. You're kind of stuck out there. He got caught. It wasn't poor positioning on his part as much as it was just those decisions that you look at and, and how things change and how the game of hockey is, where everything is really reaction and and looking at what's going on around you and trying to adapt. If you watch, there's a loose puck along the boards right near center. You've got a Boston player and Gord pursuing the puck. Berg backs up into the attacking zone to give them room at the blue line as they're both coming for it. Now, obviously, Gord wins that battle. He gets the puck. Berg's got nowhere to go. He can't go deeper into the zone. With the two players pursuing it, he can't jump the puck 
and go back towards the blue line because he's going to risk taking one of those guys out actively. So he pulls off the board, gives the player and the puck that space along the boards to presumably carry it deeper into the zone. Unfortunately for him, it, it did put him right in the path of the defending player. So it, it just it was a one situation that just compounded with with what his options were at the moment. And he, and he made the best possible option was to to not get in the way of the puck. Unfortunately, he did get in the way of the defender. And, you know, I can't blame the guy for for where he ended up. It's just one of those spur of the moment positioning issues that ended up being just a bad break for the Bruins. No, and there are some that are critical of of Devin Berg's positioning on the play because he's he's deeper into the zone instead of, well, you're making the call on the line. Shouldn't you be right on the blue line? And if there's going to be an issue, then it's right on the blue line. You're not in a more perilous position. It That's not the case, though, because this is not the first time this situation has arisen in game action. These are professionals who know what the best options are in terms of the puck is coming this way. I should move into this position to give everyone the best opportunity for success and to make the correct call because you've got to have both parts of that equation. You do. You want to be in the right spot to make the call. You want to avoid the play as much as possible. And I think it's easy to go back and pick it apart and say, well, why didn't he go this way and why didn't he go that way? Well, when you're doing it in real time and you've got the play coming at you, you're making the best decision at that moment. And typically you will see, and as we've seen in other cases, the linesman giving up the boards to the puck or the player to allow them to mm-hmm. continue along. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's not uncommon to pull out. You watch referee Eric Furlot, who is deep in the zone. He's similarly positioned where he's away from the boards. Now he's got some more time because he's not right on top of the play, but he's got that lane to each side where if Gord is going to carry it along the boards behind the net, Furlot's going to pull out towards center. And if he's going to cut towards center, then Furlot can back into the boards. So it's one of those spots where just time ran out on Berg's options, and, and unfortunately, he got caught in the middle of the play. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but are you hearing my dog bark in the background? I, I did hear a dog back there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just I just wanted to make it clear, and that if you're listening to the podcast, is you're you're not hearing things. That is the beautiful dog Larry, 14 weeks old, that is just barking occasionally in the background. <laughs> well, I'll I'll try and see if she can be a little bit quieter. We are very glad to have Larry on board. Oh yes. Okay. Other stuff from the Bulls and the Bruins. Can you explain to me? How is it possible that Braden Point can score a goal at exactly the same time that Tory Krug and Tyler Johnston are involved in a fight? You couldn't coordinate it any better, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was a it was a remarkable situation. It's it's old time hockey, right? Fights, goals, not yeah. always at the same time, but man, if you can do it, some amazing choreography out there on the ice to have all of that happen at once, and. Really, that's that's the kind of thing that's up to the discretion of the officials when you've got things going on at different ends of the ice or different reasons for a stoppage. Now, certainly in this case, it comes down to situational awareness and the officials having that complete understanding of what's going on around them. It's easy to say, hey, there's a fight, let's blow the whistle, but you need to know what else is going on. And if there's an imminent scoring chance, if, if there's a play that's underway, you want to hold off on blowing the whistle, let that scoring chance happen and then stop play. So that's what happened in this case. It, it it worked out great for the Tampa Bay Lightning because, you know, the natural play continued and it wasn't impacted by the fight. Certainly, we've seen situations in the past where as soon as the gloves drop, the whistle sound and it stops things. It's usually not in the midst of a scoring chance, so nothing's lost. But if the officials didn't have that awareness and they're blowing the whistle as soon as that happens, it, you would have a potential missed opportunity there. So I, I credit the officials on this one for letting the play play out 
And it happened to end with a goal. Had it been a save, had it been a missed shot that, that didn't go in, I'm sure we would have heard the whistle shortly thereafter. But this all comes back to everyone's favorite intent to blow and understanding when the officials want to sound that whistle, when they want to stop play. And their intent was to let the offensive play continue before stopping due to the fight. So this is one of those instances. Now, if if this had been a, a fighting mismatch, for instance, the whistle may have gone prior to Braden Point getting the shot away. It's it's I guess similar to a goal coming off at one end and the play going up the ice. The referee or linesman they don't have to blow the play dead immediately. They can wait for the chance to play out, provided you know no one is in, in risk of injury or something like that. Exactly, and you know we saw it recently with with a lost skate blade for a goaltender where you're not going to blow the play dead immediately. Right. You're going to wait for an opportunity to stop play when there's not an imminent scoring chance or, or when the other team gains possession. So it's a judgment call in many cases. And you're right. A mismatch might be something where uh, someone was taking advantage of another player. There was a, a, a distinct safety issue and they're, they're stopping play immediately because they can't afford to wait it out. But in this case, I think it was the right call. And, and you know, that's, that's chalk it up to another judgment by the officials on what the appropriate response is to this situation. And, and this was the correct one. Tory Krug was involved in another incident very late in this game. It was a lopsided game where the Tampa Bay Lightning really fed their lunch to the to the Boston Bruins. And Tory Krug, after the stoppage in play, well, he was sort of sending the puck back towards the linesman to set up for a, a, a face-off after a whistle. But he did it in a rather unfriendly manner, and that was quickly the end of his night. And good for the, the officials for getting him out at that point. Yeah, you, you don't want to flip a puck at the officials. I, it wasn't a particularly hard shot. It was at the official on the far side of the ice, so it was not the guy who was going to be dropping the puck for the next faceoff. And typically, the officials can, can penalize that and toss the guy if they feel it's justified for shooting a puck at an official. Now, in this mm-hmm. case, they gave him the 10-minute misconduct. Under the NHL rulebook, 39 has a, a subsection that allows any player who intentionally knocks or shoots the puck out of the reach of an official who's retrieving it gets a misconduct penalty. And and without further details from the league, it appears that that is what Krug was booked under. If it were a little more aggressive, if they really thought he was intending to hurt the official, that would fall under rule 40, where if you physically threaten an official by shooting a puck at or in the general direction of an official, it's an automatic three-game suspension. Now, this didn't rise to that level. There was no game misconduct for abusive officials during the game, and you need that game misconduct to trigger the automatic suspension this didn't escalate to that level so i'm, I'm glad to see that they didn't no. go there but they still sent the message which I, I think was appropriate and based on the coach's response on the bench I, I don't think cassidy was arguing that at the time no i think you're right it was late in the game it was just you know what that's kind of a petulant thing to do let's just knock this down it sends a bit of a message to the rest of the players out on the ice look we know what's going on you know what's going on let's just finish this up and we'll move on and and get on with our lives kind of thing we don't need any of this nonsense to slow us down that's it and you know you mentioned it's a lopsided game so the the score is already frustrating the the offside call was frustrating for krug as he got slowed down at center so I think the officials understand where the players are coming from there. And I think the the right decision was you're out of the game, go cool off a little bit. And and we're just going to move forward from here. There's another instance where this happened. It was a few years ago. It was during a game, but again, I think, I think Florida was one of the teams involved and I wish I could remember the, the linesman so I could give him credit, but the one of the teams was again, up four or five goals, something like that. But in the middle of the game, and at the end of, uh, it was an icing call, one of the players slapped the puck away, 
and frustration into the corner away from the linesman who was picking it up to get set for the faceoff. The linesman made him go get the puck and retrieve it. I loved that. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, I do remember that. I, I'm trying to place the official that did it. I know it was one of the veteran linesmen, and I, I, I do remember him waving to uh, to have the player go and retrieve the puck, and no penalty was called on the play, but just no. just great to send that message there. Of, you know what? You, you can't do that. You go you go get it. <laughs> and, and I'd love that. <laughs> it was nice. You know, that's, that's the kind of interaction that you like to see, and you understand, again, that the players are frustrated depending on what's going on. And, and all officials have played hockey at some point in their lives. They've all been on the other side of things. They understand how things work. So sometimes you're uh, you're open to giving the guy a break, and uh, you just don't want to be disrespected. So sometimes he's got to go clean up his mess. Very well put. One other thing I want to get into before we wrap up this edition. There was, uh, again, I, I were really dominated by Tampa and Boston on this one, but it's not a specific call I want to ask about. But there was a penalty in the game, Nick Ritchie got dinged for a slash on Kevin Shattenkirk of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, Tampa, of course, scores on the power play. Between periods, I'm watching the game and I'm watching the commentator, who I refer to as the cranky curmudgeon, Brian Burke. Some people enjoy his work. I'm not a big fan. I think he's stuck in an era that we're trying to evolve out of. But my, my point about this is, he bitched about whether that should be a penalty or shouldn't be a penalty. And the phrase I want to focus on is, that shouldn't be a penalty in the playoffs, was the one he used. In the regular season, okay, but the players don't want it. It shouldn't be a penalty in the playoffs. I want to introduce it as the launch point for a larger discussion of, can we ever get to a place where we resolve that the standard is not a moving target? It doesn't change or people feel it should change for the playoffs versus the regular season. I don't, I don't care what time of year it is. I don't care what period it is. I don't care what the situation is. Is it a penalty or is it not a penalty? That would make life simpler for everyone. And I think it makes the game more accessible. I, I agree. I think having that consistent standard is important from game one of the preseason through game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. And it's funny to hear this from Burke because these are some of the same voices where we hear complaints of, well, it's different in the playoffs. And why is it different in the playoffs? And why are they calling right. things differently? And why are they calling it tighter here? And it's, I, I know there's a big deal around game management from the officials and trying to control things like we saw in Tampa, Boston, that the penalties went up towards the end of the game there, which was a game out of reach and they didn't want things getting out of control. And I think that's part of it. I think the, the series idea and the sending a message for the next game is a bigger part of the playoffs. And I think that does drive some of the penalties, but as far as, the call standard, yeah, it, it, sh it should be consistent. And I think if you ask the players, they'd rather have it be consistent all across the board so they know where the line is, regardless of the game time, regardless of the official, regardless of whether it's in overtime, but to have that same standard across the board entirely. And I, and I think while this may have been, for some people, a marginal call on Richie, it's the kind of penalty that, that I actually like to see called. He wasn't mm -hmm. making a play on the puck. He wasn't doing anything constructive from a hockey standpoint. The The slash was purely to give Shattenkirk a whack on the leg. So as far as the, oh, this was a high stick while you were trying to make a play, or this was a slash while you were trying to make a, a defensive attempt to strip the guy of the puck. No, this was, this was an attempt to injure or just to give the guy a shot. So I have no problem with it. I have no problem with those penalties being called more tightly as it is just because there's no hockey play benefit uh, to the move that he had. But... I don't know. I, I disagree with Berkey here. I, I think the standard should be set. I think it would be better for all involved if we had one set standard the whole time. And I think 
fans and players would adapt as we've seen in the past when certain things have changed. And, and I think it would probably make it make for better hockey, but I think it, it would be an improvement for hockey in general. Like you said, better for the fans. I think if it's involved in the play and the action on the ice, then accidents will happen. But if you're inflicting punishment, then I think they got to ding you every time. But we, we've, we've had no shortage of, of topics this week. And something tells me as we get deeper into these playoffs that we will continue to have plenty of material to discuss each week. You know, the, the games may get fewer and fewer as the series move on, but there's definitely going to be no shortage of controversy, <laughs> penalty calls, and, and inevitably more coaches challenge. Just think we, we haven't even had the goaltender interference controversies come up yet, Todd. Oh, well, that's it then. Now, we're, now that's inevitable for next week. I look forward to it. <laughs> the Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com. Scouting the Refs.